From my perspective, God's saying a week's long enough. Now it's time to get down to business. I have appointed you a watchman to the house of Israel. And that's your role. Now what you're supposed to do every time you hear a word from my mouth, you warn them. So he's going to be totally governed by the word from God's mouth. This is not something he's imagining. This is not his assessment of what they need to hear. This is him simply telling the message God gave him. This is a critical function. He's the sentry. He's the watchman. He's on duty to pass on the Lord's warnings. It's a life and death matter. He's in a war zone. There's an enemy. Can you imagine a literal watchman on the wall being derelict in his duty? That would be a capital crime because he's responsible then for the slaughter of how hard telling how many fellow countrymen, how many citizens. So this is just a serious thing. And uh, God has appointed here, Ezekiel, to, to do that job. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You know, God's telling Ezekiel, I want you to be a watchman, and I want you to speak my word of warning that the enemy is coming. Who's the enemy? The Lord. He has given Ezekiel the role to warn the people that he's coming in judgment. He really would like not to have to do that. He'd like them to repent so that they won't uh, uh, have to experience God's judgment. And he certainly wants them to have warning. Then when he comes, there's no excuses to be made. Um, But that's just kind of an interesting thing that he's a watchman warning them from God about God's coming in judgment. Now, that's not a particularly pleasant job, right? We've been talking about that. You know, would you rather tell people that uh, they just won the lottery or that you're there to repossess their car? You know, I mean, there are some jobs we'd like to, you know, pass on information about. There's some things we'd rather not. You know, we'd love to tell people, all the people, about this wonderful plan the Lord has for your life and how everything's going to be wonderful. We're too worried often about people's feelings. Can you imagine a night watchman who sees the robbers approaching? He sees there's some crisis coming. He sees the enemies approaching. But, you know, people are sleeping so soundly, he just hates to wake them up. You know, he just, that would be really cruel, you know? I mean, they, they, and it's going to be a message that's going to be unpleasant, and they're not going to like the message. And, and you just don't want to hurt their feelings. Well, that'd be foolish. What a, what a strange way to think 
that you'd rather not hurt their feelings by waking them up and let them die at the hand of whatever peril is coming. You know, the night watchman sounds the alarm when the enemy approaches, when the, when the, the danger is there. You know, I think the problem sometimes for us in being a kind of a watchman is that we may not see right and wrong. You know, we, we, we get a lot of this culture that, well, everybody is just sort of, you know, they're, they're dealing with things from their own perspective. And, and the thing we need to do is reaffirm everyone in their feelings, in their thinking, in their culture, in their, in their way of looking at things. We're never supposed to be confrontational. Well, the Word of God is inherently confrontational when I'm not doing it. There's no way to teach the Word of God and not be confrontational. So the watchman's duty is to give the warning based upon the danger, not based upon the mood of the people who are being warned. And, and, and we get that when it comes to physical warnings. You know, we've got fire alarms and smoke detectors and security guards and antivirus software and a whole lot of things to warn and, and to keep us away from peril. I mean, if you really did see a danger, you know, little Johnny was about to run out into the street, and you didn't warn little Johnny, would that be because you just loved him too much to, to tell him don't do that? That would be hatred. That would be cruel. When it was little Johnny, we'd get up in arms about somebody who saw what was about to happen and didn't make take any step to try to warn. But when it comes to others, sometimes we're not like that. So, he, he, he spells this out. He says, alright, when I say the wicked, you will surely die. And you don't warn him. Well, he's going to go right on in his wickedness. And whose responsibility is going to be? You didn't warn him. The blood's on you. Now, if you warned him and he doesn't turn from his wicked way, He's going to die, but you've delivered yourself. You've done your job. You've issued the warning. Then it's his fault. You see that idea? So, our job is not to save souls. It's not to be effective. It's to be faithful and pass on the warning. You know, we can't just consume ourselves with uh, self-doubt as to where we went wrong when we warned them that they didn't listen. We just keep warning the word that God has given us. And the watchman warns everybody. His life depends on him doing that. Not on his success in persuading them, but on his issuing the warning faithfully and validly. That's the thing we need to see. Our job is to issue the warning. Our job is not to make them believe it, accept it, or whatever. Now he says, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity. You know, if you've not warned him, it's your responsibility. If you warn him and he doesn't take it, then it's his problem. If he takes it, he'll live because he took the warning. You know, so your job, you warn, then it's up to them. Either that blesses them or not, but the blood's on them. The responsibility's on them. You did your job. That's really kind of the ultimatum to Ezekiel. You know, it's 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 up to him. Will he teach? Will he sound the warning? And then then it becomes up to them. I think that basically summarizes this passage. What we've been looking at so far. This really gives Ezekiel 
his uh, marching orders. It gives him his mission. Be the watchman. Issue the warning that I have delivered to everybody. Then it's up to them. Thoughts and comments. Yeah, Brian. Absolutely. Yes. Good point. It's one thing to just issue kind of a blanket, vague warning in a sermon to a whole church, which still probably aren't the non-believers that need to hear it. But it's another thing to tell somebody individually, here's what God says. We are just in such a strong culture, maybe it's always been this way, but it sure seems to be greater now, of you just, it's wrong to speak a warning. And, and so, you know, and, and then what happens to us? All right, so you give the warning, and the person gets upset with you. How do you feel? Wow, I did the wrong thing. This may not be a perfect illustration, but I, I saw what was happening shortly after this, but I still struggled to deal with it. When I was 17, there was a girl in school that I taught and baptized. She stayed faithful for two weeks under great pressure from her <coughs> parents, and then she went back and didn't want to talk about it anymore. Now, I did, there were a couple of things I did in that that were not right. I didn't have a totally good heart that's a long story. Uh, but I was too worried about, you know, her embarrassing me by her, some things about her than I was about what, her, what was right about her soul. But what I'd done in teaching was the right thing. And, and when she rejected that, it just so made me feel like I had done the wrong thing, like I'd messed up, like it was my fault, and it made me feel terrible. And that was Satan just trying to shut me up. You know, was I a perfect teacher? No, but I taught her the truth. Now, shortly after she was baptized, they had her preacher come over, and she had me come over, and that was a disaster because he wouldn't let me talk. Every time he'd, he'd ask me a leading question, I'd start to answer it. He'd take, he'd get just what he wanted to hear, and then he'd pound me with it. I was still teaching the truth. I wasn't doing the wrong thing. I didn't have much experience in debating a guy three times older than me, you know, but, but that wasn't my fault. And I was still saying the true things. I understood what was right. Um, but, but that guilt and that feeling of failure, when I was giving the proper warning that Satan used to just shut me up. Now, I think that's what we feel when somebody rejects the warning, we're, we're liable to just really beat ourselves up and just like, Oh, I failed. Oh, that's terrible. I should never have said that. I should never have done that. Because they got upset. That's not the, that's not the uh, criteria to judge our faithfulness by. It's not how they respond. It's how did I 
represented. Did I warn them the way God said to? So we've got to get out of the mindset of judging our faithfulness by their response. And that's, that's perfectly this. They may respond this way or that way. Doesn't matter. You do your job. If we could think that way more, I think it would help us so much. Thoughts and comments? Yeah, you know, it's just, man, it's challenging to feel like it's the right thing just to present the word as it is. You know, we want to make excuses for it. We want to, you know, soft pedal it. We want to figure out a strategy that will lead them to accept it better and all that. And I understand we need to be loving and we need to be, um, you know, humble. But, but that means we teach it the way it's said, and whether we think they're going to like it or not. Jake. So, so far, and it's easy to do this, we've probably mainly been looking at, at trying to make application of our life from Ezekiel's point of view. Um, if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to read uh, Hebrews 10 just a little bit for a second. Uh, to make application, only looking at it as, you know, here is Israel's God teaching. We are God's people. So we have this uh, this scene in Hebrews 10, uh, starting in verse uh, uh, 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of the fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. However, much severe punishment do you, how much how much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sacrificed he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And I think, you know, so far we've we've, looked at it as as we should, as uh, Ezekiel warning the people, we are are God's people as well. (coughs) Another good way on the flip side of things is, um, okay, you look how bad it was for them and how the the judgment, you know, we're going to come to find out how bad it was. That was nothing. So we, we are the people of God, and that is not. So how do we receive the warnings? Yeah, that's a good point. That, we need to think about that. When we are warned, how do we take it? Dustin?
it is easier to present the gospel to a perfect stranger than it is to your best friend in a lot of cases. Because if your best friend rejects you, it hurts more. If a perfect stranger does, who cares? Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It might have been easier for Ezekiel to go to a people of a different language, another culture, than it was to his own people and preach this. Yeah, good point. Yes, Carla. We plant, we water, God causes the growth. Exactly. That's exactly right. That's the way it ought to be. J.D. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, there's no indication that Ezekiel said, well, would you please uh, send me out on this mission? God just came to him and said, here's the mission I'm sending you out on. <laughs> and uh, we've got to have more, uh, uh, perhaps, a respect for the Lord's authority. Jake. I'm just thinking that, that that is so true. We do that. You know, whenever we obey the gospel, we're baptized, and then we live out our baptism every day. Probably when we were baptized, we didn't really know that we are responsible for saving souls. We are res- not responsible for souls, but we are responsible for preaching the word and delivering the message. You know, I don't, you know, I don't think that necessarily that's what we're thinking about. We're pricking the heart. We understand, and then so eventually we learn that that's the will of God. And we're like, oh, I have to do that. Knowledge of the truth gives us the responsibility. It's like seeing that little kid run out, about to run out in the road. We didn't necessarily volunteer to be in that position. But when we are, then we got a responsibility to give the warning. So, you know, we know the truth, and the, we know the world around us doesn't. That gives us a responsibility, like it or not. Yeah. When we preach the message and they didn't like the message and they reject it, it's really not a personal rejection. We didn't write the message. Yeah. Good thoughts. Good. Uh, how about 22 to 27?
So again, God's hand was on him, and uh, he, he has him go out and see the glory of God again. He falls on his face again. It's always overwhelming to see the glory of God. Can you imagine a time when you could see it and not fall on your face? I think that's difficult to imagine. And then the Spirit enters him, made him stand up, said, go to your house. And really, Ezekiel is going to be put in a, in a lifestyle that really isolates him. He's to shut himself up in his house, bind himself or have them bind him with ropes to where he can't go out among them. So he doesn't, he doesn't socialize. And he can't talk. I will make your tongue stick to the roof of your mouth that you'll be mute and cannot be a man who rebukes them for their rebellious house except when God speaks to him that he can open his mouth and give the message. So he can't say anything other than the message of God and he doesn't go out and hobnob with them. Uh, he's going to be very isolated. Um, he, he and his tongue are God's property. And so he's under kind of a divine gag order. <laughs> you know, you only talk when I give you something to say, and that's all you say. You know, there's he just he's just not given any room for independence. You know, you just speak my word, period. You know, I, I, maybe this is off, but I don't think so. Um, it's worrisome when preachers say, preach and teach things that aren't the word. I remember many years ago going to a service in a gospel meeting and being really surprised. I think it's the first time I'd heard somebody just not preach the Bible. Now, what he preached was a really um, thoughtful and insightful book that was good, but it wasn't the Bible. And I remember thinking, that's just not right. Now, I agreed with a lot of the book. It was a book on family life. There were some good insights in the book. I'd read it myself, and I liked it. But, and maybe there were some insights in it that were biblical, but he didn't present them that way. I don't know that he used a Bible passage in the whole sermon. You know, sometimes there's some good philosophies. Sometimes there's some, some good things to say, some helpful things, some thoughtful things. But our job is to speak the word. You know, and that's what we need to be doing way more than talking about anything else. You know, he's not going to be able to speak up for the people. I think it may be the idea that really he can't be a mediator for them. He's just to preach the word. And so uh, that's that's going to be his life for the next five years. He's going to be just a spokesman for the Lord. He's kind of like a puppet on the string. And he's going to be doing some weird stuff, not saying a word about it until God tells him to say a word about it. Uh, it you know, it's not easy to be a prophet of God. Prophets are called upon to fulfill a really challenging role. And uh, that's, that's what you see here. Thoughts and comments. <coughs> so. Yeah. 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 Sweet but bitter at the end. Uh, it's going to be difficult. 
uh, I'm going to go and preach, and I'm already being told that they're not going to listen to it. They're rebellious. This is a no-win situation. I think I can appreciate it. I'm not saying you're fine. I can appreciate him being silent. Feeling like, this is a loose list. And so, maybe God is reading him in these passages. I almost feel like God's giving him deep. It's sort of a blessing, I think. Because he doesn't just say, at first he said, they're rebellious. But now he's added, but some of them may repent. And some of them may change. And so, there is hope. And then at the end of 27, he appears like here. And so, it's not like he's giving him a glimmer of, of, of hope here. This isn't just a loss of loss. There's purpose to this. Okay. Yeah, good thought. Brandon. Amen. Yeah, he does. Awesome. If you think about the scenario that he gave the young man running into the road, well, as a parent, we don't just tell your child that one time. You know, they say, last time I told you, and, and so then, you know, the next time you're hard enough to keep it. No, that, that's not what we do as parents. We are, we are gracious. We, we continue to give those reviews, those warnings, but in all the time trying to keep it. Yes, good point. Yeah, not just one warning. Yeah. Also, may factor in that when you're quiet and you don't talk very often, it does make it like saving people. Absolutely, and I think certainly that's going to be the case with Ezekiel. When he does open up his mouth and speak, it's not going to be small talk. It's going to be some very serious words. Other thoughts? Yes. I think sometimes it's um, very easy for us to use it as an excuse to sin to say that. Hey, I think that God would want me to be happy. God would want me to be comfortable. If you look at what was, what Ezekiel was required to do to be pleasing to God, there's nothing comfortable or happy or encouraging about this. He was he was required to do hard things, just like all of the other prophets, just like Christ was. And so I don't think that that that's in any way a uh, an excuse that we can use to say, oh, I'm sure that God would want me to, you know. Good point. Yes, uh, God's commands are challenging, and we can never think, well, that's just too hard. God couldn't have possibly expected me to do that. He's expected people to do really hard things. Yeah. Thoughtful. Thoughtful. Yes. Good thought. God values giving every soul an opportunity. That's something very important to him and it ought to be to us as well. Good point. So now he's got his directions. Now God's going to start using him. And wow, very interesting stuff. Of chapter 4, verses 1 to 8. 